And yes, let me join with Owen in saying a massive just well done and thank you to all our incredible tech team. It is possibly the most scary thing I can possibly imagine doing, so um, I'm in awe of you. Um, as Owen said, today is the last talk in our materialism module, which has been amazing. I've absolutely loved it. And this morning, we're going to be focusing on the small issue of systemic injustice. And I love that this whole thing has been a key module in our pattern series, because these issues are not optional extras for their keen justice types. These issues that we've been wrestling with and talking through are absolutely central to what it looks like to go on the adventure of following Jesus with our whole lives. Many of you will have listened to the stunning words um, from Amanda Gorman earlier this year. She's the American Youth Poet Laureate, and she spoke at Joe Biden's inauguration. Absolutely stunning. And as we as a family watched these words being spoken out, it felt like one of those moments where the world stopped and listened. It starts like this. When day comes, we ask ourselves, where can we find light in this never-ending shade? The loss we carry, a sea we must wade. We've braved the belly of the beast. We've learned that quiet isn't always peace and the norms and notions of what just is, isn't always justice. And it goes on for about four minutes. If you haven't seen it, I really encourage you to YouTube it and have a watch. It is so moving. Amanda Gorman, in her four minutes, grabs her moment. She uses her opportunity to acknowledge the injustices of past and present, but she also speaks into this new and hopeful dawn. And of course, her words marked a new presidency, but it was more than that. It was like her words carried this prophetic weight. They seemed to speak into a global longing for a new thing, for a world where what just is isn't always justice. I don't know if you feel that too, but it feels like we're at the doorway of a new era. We've experienced this disruption in our systems, our relationships, our ways of working, our ways of worshipping so much more, and it's been hard, and we need to spend time taking stock and coming to terms with the losses. But at the same time, I believe we stand in the doorway of opportunity. And the question is, will we walk through? You've probably heard people talk about our system is broken. But the truth is that our system isn't broken. This is the way it was designed. It's working exactly as it was designed to. And the harsh truth is that you and I are deeply entwined in these unjust global systems. And we're also the ones who have the most to gain. 
Martin Luther King famously said that before you finish eating breakfast in the morning, you've depended on more than half the world. This is the way our universe is structured. This is its interrelated quality. So let's just think about the coffee industry for one moment. And you might even have a brew in your hands right now. And if you've given up coffee for Lent, you might now be having massive coffee cravings. I haven't, um, and it's definitely my brew of choice. But did you know that two billion cups of coffee are drunk worldwide every single day? And of course, most of those are drunk in the global north. And meanwhile, most of the coffee beans are grown in the global south, with a, a lot of them being grown in West Africa. Slavery in this industry goes largely unchecked. Um, a documentary in 2020, in fact, showed that many of the, the people, many of the, um, those stuck in this slavery are children, sometimes as young as eight, who are deeply entwined in this industry, in this system. But in order for us to get our coffee the way we like it, at the price we want to pay, and also for the, the big global industries, the coffee companies, to make the money they want. The truth is that someone has to pay. And the sad reality is that the system exploits those who are most vulnerable. It's estimated that of the 40 million people thought to be in slavery in the world today, one in four is a child. Children like Harish, who worked as a young boy on a coffee plantation in West Africa. He described his experience as being like living in a prison, under daily threat of death if he were to escape. Sadly, the stats show from all around the world that over COVID times and the economic stresses, people who are vulnerable have only become more vulnerable. The moment we find ourselves in friends demands a response from the people of God. I wonder if someone asked us how Jesus might use his opportunity, like Amanda Gorman had, to speak to the world right now, what do you think he would say? How would he use his moment? So as we turn to our passage in Luke 4 today, we read about the moment when Jesus makes his first speech as he begins his ministry on earth. And like Amanda Gorman's poem, this represented a moment, the heralding of a new era. It was like his manifesto as he starts to usher in the kingdom of God on earth. So let's read from Luke 4. It says, He went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. So we know that he would have been speaking to people he'd known his entire life. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. So we know he's speaking at this point to the people of God. 
He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it's written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. It's really important that we don't miss the significance of this moment. Jesus is claiming to be fulfilling scripture in their midst. He's hinting that he is the Messiah. But he's also announcing that the kingdom of God is going to be very different to what they'd imagined. The religious leaders of the day had lots of expectations of what it would look like, but they did not expect him to announce that justice would be front and center of his kingdom. If we're honest, it's a bit like us, isn't it? We have often so many preconceived ideas about what it looks like to follow Jesus, or we fall in to a way of doing things. And often these are good and right. But sometimes we need Jesus to step in and disrupt our thinking. So Jesus announced to them and to us today that the unshakable kingdom he's ushering in is about good news to the poor, the oppressed, the prisoners, the blind. Those who've fallen at the wrong end of the system. What just is was going to be, need to be radically reordered in order for the kind of justice and worship that he was looking for. I don't know about you, but I love the way that Jesus is always so much better than we could possibly imagine. He always proves himself to be better than we'd previously thought. And Jesus is saying that under his kingship, he wants to love not just the people of God, but the entire world. And he's going to start with the poor and the oppressed. So then, as, Jesus, uh, as Luke's gospel goes on, and we see Jesus' ministry unfold, we see that the people of God have a choice to make. Were they going to listen and accept the new thing that God was doing in their midst? Were they going to walk through this door of opportunity that Jesus was opening for them? Or... Were they going to fall into the category of people who Jesus wept over as he stood and looked over Jerusalem when he said, oh, how I wish that you of all people would understand the way to peace. And every generation since has had to make this same choice. Will we just accept the state of our world, the what just is, or will we contend for justice in our time? 
So as we, the people of God, stand in the doorway of a new era, I wonder what do we sense the Spirit of God is doing in us and around us? I wonder what choices he's asking the people of God and us to make. Many of us would say we're really excited about seeing what God is doing in this time. We've seen some of the things we've been longing to see for so long. People starting to pray, stats about more people than ever, watching church online. But I also believe that one of the ways the Spirit of God is moving in this time is by waking up the world to the things of justice. He's been peeling back the layers and showing us that what just is, isn't justice. And if we look at many of the previous moves of God, they've gone hand in hand with a fresh hunger for justice. And we're seeing this incredible hunger for justice in the culture. Young activists like Greta Thunberg, Amanda Gorman, and Gen Z, who are, have been dubbed the justice generation because they're hungry to see a change in our world. And we've seen the church rise up, haven't we, over the pandemic, feeding the poor, caring for our communities, such as our wonderful team at Worcester Food Bank, who have done an incredible job. And it is really exciting to see what's happening. But right now, we have the opportunity of a lifetime, not to build back, but to usher in a new way of doing things, a new system. And here is the great news, the brilliant news, which is that we've already got a different system, a proven way. The kingdom of God offers us a blueprint, and we read in the Beatitudes, don't we, the way to ushering in the kingdom of God is to be the merciful, to be the peacemakers, to be those who hunger and thirst for justice and righteousness. So friends, let's choose to push on through the doorway of opportunity, not just to see the new era, but to be the new era. Amanda Gorman puts it like this as she concludes her poem. When day comes, we step out of the shade, aflame and unafraid. The new dawn blooms as we free it, for there is always light if only we're brave enough to see it, if only we're brave enough to be it. So, how do we be it? And how do we, as the people of God on earth right now, announce the good news of the kingdom of God today in our culture? How do we partner with God as we remember that the spirit of the sovereign Lord is now on us to empower us to show the vast love of God to the hurting and broken world that we live in? So I'm going to finish with three really practical ways that you can engage with this issue. Firstly, let's fuel compassion. Did you know that the word compassion comes from two Latin words, come and passio, which mean to suffer with? But so often 
if we're honest, we get compassion fatigue and we switch off to the overwhelming suffering in the world. And I get it, I feel it too. I'm around this stuff a lot. And there are definitely times where it feels so overwhelming. And there are times where in our own lives, we've got so much stuff that is close to home, so much grief that we're processing that we just can't. But, and I say this respectfully, as the ones who have everything to gain and who are perpetuating unjust systems, most of the time, I don't think we have that luxury. So, if you can, put yourself in the way of suffering with those locally and globally who are suffering. Let's be intentional about listening to the experience of those who've suffered and who are suffering. Let's watch the global news. Let's read, let's educate ourselves. And there'll be more details in the small group notes after this. And having been exposed to the suffering, let's take our grief to God in prayer. And let's allow the exposure to suffering to fuel compassion and for compassion to fuel action. So secondly, when it comes to taking action, I want to suggest that we adopt the banana principle, as I'm going to call it. And this comes from um, this week, I was talking to a church in Leeds, and they've been going through IJM's Make Slavery Normal series over Lent as a church. And one of their small groups has a man in it who lost his job early in the pandemic and is living on a very low income. But in response to all that he'd heard about the systemic injustice going on all around the world, his response was that he decided that instead of buying eight bananas each week, he was going to buy six bananas that were fair trade. Imagine what would happen if all of us took lots of small steps in the right direction. And I'm going to suggest particularly on the five main products that are ethically problematic. So these are electronics, coffee, chocolate, clothes, and seafood. What if we all try to buy these products as ethically as we can find and afford? As a start of term, maybe we could all try and buy our Easter eggs as ethically as we can find and afford. There are lots out there, I've been looking. And again, there'll be loads of suggestions in the notes that follow. But let's remember that we, as consumers, have more power than ever before. And every time we buy something, it's like we cast a vote. And yes, it might mean that we have to sacrifice a banana or two here or there. But it feels like that it's time that we, as consumers, start to pay more of the cost. Lastly, let's commit to pray. We've got the opportunity of a lifetime to build back differently, but we'll only be able to walk through the door of opportunity if we partner with God, not just in action, but in prayer. 
I absolutely love this quote by Carbath. He says, to clasp the hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of the world. So let's pray for change. And let's pray that we could sustain our efforts as we proclaim to the world that what just is, isn't always justice. Perhaps this is where we can apply the banana principle. Perhaps instead of praying so much for ourselves, we could pray a little bit more for the world. Other things that you can do as you sustain this prayer life is that you could sign up for regular prayer updates from charities who are working with the poor and the oppressed, charities such as Tear Fund and IJM and many, many more. You could join a prayer group at All Saints who are praying for these issues on a weekly basis. Or maybe you want to start on up praying for a particular issue of um, oppression around the world. I'm going to leave you with this um, from Sonia Renee Taylor. She says, We will not go back to normal. Normal never was. Our pre-corona existence was not normal, other than we normalise greed, inequity, exhaustion, depletion, extraction, disconnection, confusion, rage, hoarding, hate and lack. We should not learn long to return, my friends. We are being given the opportunity to stitch a new garment, one that fits all of humanity and nature. So, shall we pray together? And let's just pray as the band um, come up. And Spirit of God, would you fall afresh on us? God, thank you for the ways that you've been speaking to us over this series about consumerism and the things of justice. Thank you for the ways that you've been stirring our hearts and our minds. Would you show us how to respond? Would you be working deep within us as individuals, but also as a community, as the people of God here on earth? Disrupt us, God, where we need disrupting. God, show us the joy of going on adventure with you as we usher in the kingdom of God here on earth.